This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Sola gracia, in other words, grace alone. It's the method of our salvation. It's not by our works, but it's the grace of God. And it's done through sola fide, by faith alone. That's the vehicle or the channel that our salvation comes through. That one of the other solas is solus Christus. Christ alone is the only source of our salvation. It's only through Christ. And then the last one, sola dio gloria. To God alone be the glory in all of our life. In the body of Christ, we're to be united as one. We're to walk as one. We're to serve as one. But how can that happen when we all have so many different personalities, characteristics, talents, and ideas? Well, it's simple, really. The only way we can come together is by submitting to our head, which is God. You see, we can't find unity in anything other than the truth. When we become unified based upon man's ideas or goals, we'll eventually fail. But when we're unified in God's Word, He'll be able to use us mightily. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 1, with part one of our message entitled, The Unity of the Kingdom. The saying goes that in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity or love. Now, The history of that uh, statement or of that saying is really up to a lot of historical debate. Some say that uh, early church father uh, Augustine or Augustine was the one who coined that phrase. Others say that uh, they look at all of his writings. It's not in any of his writings at all. But regardless of who says it, the spirit of that uh, declaration seems to speak to us very clearly about who we are to be in Christ. In the essentials of our faith, we should work together with others in unity. In the non-essentials of our Christian faith, we should show great liberty or great grace among other believers. And in all things, we need to demonstrate charity or love in our lives. Again, as representatives of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, which is where we're at this morning, speaks almost exclusively about this idea of unity. It's a very important factor of what Paul is giving to the church at this point in time. A unity, though, that's in the midst of great diversity. Unity is not unity at any cost, okay? We don't just strive for unity and throw everything else away. As a matter of fact, unity at any cost can only be obtained by the surrender and the defeat of truth. You see, we can only be unified completely in every area if we throw away truth. Because if we stand for truth, if we look at the Word of God and said, no, this is the truth, this is very clear within the Word of God, then there will be things that we will disagree with others on. And we do great disservice to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God and say, well, I'll just throw that truth out. There's going to be some areas that there will not be unity in that area. But the unity that Paul speaks of here, it deals with the unity in our understanding of the truth as it's been revealed to us through God's Word. And it's already, again, he's told us back in chapter 2 where this unity 
comes from. Back in chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, Paul writes these words. He speaks about us who are in faith in Christ, that we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Let me ask you real quick, how big is the household of God? It is huge. In some cases, it's larger than we can imagine, but on the other hand, it's also smaller than what we see. I've spoken to you in the past about this idea of the church visible is everyone who goes through church doors on any given weekend. But not all who go through church doors are part of the household of faith. Do you understand that? That just because they're in the church doesn't make them a part of the church, the true church. Paul goes on to say, not only are we members of the household of God, but having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, that's the foundation of our belief, of our understanding. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, the entire building, the whole body of Christ being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God's doing a marvelous work, and guess what? That work extends beyond you. That work extends beyond us as a fellowship here in this community. God is doing a, a great work within this community. God moves beyond structures and confines even that we put on it. And God is doing a great and a marvelous work. And we're simply a part of that work. Because we're fellow saints, because we're members of the household of God, because we're joined together, built together, because we are part of that dwelling place of God in the Spirit, there needs to be a unity within the household of faith. So we continue on, looking at chapter 4 of Ephesians. And I'm going to back up again to verse 1. Though we've covered that, I want to pull it all together in the context. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in y'all. If Paul was from southern Judea, that's the way he'd talk all the time. We spent nearly all of our time looking at what I saw as four of five different virtues that Paul declared should be part of our life because of the calling that's within us. If we are going to walk in our life in a manner that's worthy of our calling, these virtues ought to be a part of us. Back in verse 2 here in chapter 4, Paul says that we should walk with what? With all lowliness. And we spoke last week that that speaks of being in all humility or complete selflessness. I shared with you that pride and arrogance of any sort have absolutely no place in the life of a believer. In Galatians, Paul declared that there was only one thing that he himself could boast about. And he says, that's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the Apostle Paul. I mean, if anybody could boast about anything, you would think Paul could. 
hey, you know what? I've, I've planted uh, how many churches, and I've led this many people to the Lord, and I've done this, and, I, and I've heard guys boast that way. You know what? We don't have any boasting. Our boasting is in Christ and in the cross. No room. Oh, that our boasting would only and always be in the Lord. The second of those virtues was that we also needed to walk in, in gentleness. The idea, again, as I shared last week, power under control or domesticated strength. Being firm without being harsh. That we could be direct, yet with a gentleness of spirit. It's not that we allow things, but we can speak the truth. The Word says we are to speak the truth in what? In love. So it's not that we don't speak the truth, but there needs to be an abundance of that agape love, that self-giving love, to make it again the reality of God working in us. He goes on, Paul does, and he says that we also, one of those virtues is with long-suffering, patient endurance. And I shared with you last week that it's both in situations, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, that there needs to be this patience, this long-suffering in our lives to be able to, again, looking unto the Lord and not being so brought down by the circumstances. But it's not only the circumstances, it's also putting up with one another, dealing with one another, that there needs to be long-suffering, there needs to be a patient endurance. And that actually brings us to the, the next of those virtues, and that's bearing with one another in love. Here again, we see the attitude of holding up one another, enduring with them, and again, putting up with them. But it's all in love, in that agape love, that selflessness, that self-sacrificial type of love. We need to be willing to forgive others. Remember what I said? We need to be willing to forgive others as long as we want the forgiveness of God in our lives. And when we grow weary of receiving the forgiveness of God in our lives, then we can start cutting people off. But I don't know about you, but as long as I'm carrying this carcass around, I'm going to need the forgiveness of God in my life. And so I need to be able to forgive others also. Now we come to this fifth, this final virtue of this worthy walk. In verse 3, he says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I don't know for many of you how long you've been in the Casa Grande area, but did you realize that within the greater Casa Grande area, this is from Stanfield to Toltec, from Arizona City and, and Eloy, not, not counting Maricopa, not counting Coolidge, but just in, in this small area, did you realize that there are nearly 100 different churches I look at that and I think, wow, a hundred different churches. Now, that's, that's not including those that don't even begin to meet the description of the church, okay? Uh, even in its widest definition. I'm not counting uh, Kingdom Hall. I'm not counting the Baha'is. I'm not counting the, the Christian science practitioners, which are neither Christian nor scientific. I'm not counting uh, the several wards of the LDS. Uh, I'm counting those that proclaim themselves to be New Testament biblical Christianity. And there's nearly 100 of those of every shape, of every size, of every denomination, and every creed that you could think of here in our small little area of the world. We have Baptists of every sort. We've got Southern Baptists, Independent Baptists, Conservative Baptists, Free Will Baptists, Reformed Baptists, and Missionary Baptists. We've got 
Methodist of a couple of different types. We've got Evangelical Methodist and we've got United Methodist. We've got Lutherans of several different flavors and types. We've got Wisconsin Synod and they don't play well with the Missouri Synod. We've got uh, the American Association of Lutheran Churches. We've got the Evangelical Lutheran Churches. We have the Christian Church and the Church of Christ. There's Church of God, which is not to be confused with the Assembly of God. We have the Apostolic, Prophetic, and Messianic Churches. There's a few Pentecostal churches around, and there's also specifically Pentecostal Church of God and Pentecostal Holiness. There's the Presbyterians, and there's the Catholics. There's the Episcopals, and some would say that the Episcopals are actually simply Catholic light. So uh, there's also something called the liberal Catholic, and that one just kind of scares me totally, but... uh, We have within our community uh, Victory Chapel, Calvary Chapel, and Calvary Baptist. Now, there's similarities in all of the names, but there's a lot of differences between each of us, though at times we've received each other's mail. We have denominational churches and non-denominational churches. We have interdenominational churches, and we have a lot of independent churches. We have Native American churches, black churches, Spanish churches. We have some churches that you would swear that they have a sign outside that says whites only. That's a sad declaration of really the body of Christ. There's churches that are located right next door to each other. There's churches that are across the street from each other. There's churches that meet within the same building. There's churches that meet in stained glass sanctuaries. There's churches that meet in warehouses, in homes, in storefronts, and in school buildings. Some of these churches within our area, they have a type of contemporary worship, and it's so contemporary that anybody over the age of 30 can't understand the words, and they end up leaving with their ears bleeding. Okay, And then there's some that hold to such a traditional style of worship that no one under 30 would be caught dead in the place. Some worship experiences... Make you feel like you've been at a pep rally or a rock concert, and while others make you wonder if you've wound up among the frozen chosen. (laughs) Some of the churches in our area use the King James Version only. They declare that every other version is part of a great heresy, part of a conspiracy or a plot to destroy the Word of God. On the other far spectrum, we have some churches that leave you wondering if anyone there ever reads, much less owns, a Bible, including the pastor, because he never really preaches out of it. Some of these churches are very preachy, and you feel like you've been yelled at the entire time by a very angry person. While others feed you so much cotton candy with syrup dripped on it, you'll leave with a stomachache and unfed. All of this is true. All of this is true just within our small area here in Castle Grande. That's the diversity of the wider body of Christ. So how can we possibly keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace with that much diversity? Do we simply say that it doesn't matter? Can't we all just get along? After all, we're all just part of the bigger body of Christ. Well, the answer to that really is simply yes. But also no, because there are lines that do need to be drawn. There's, there's certain areas that we do need to stop at. The fact is, is for some of these fellowships or churches, the reality is, is within some of those, we are part of the same body together. And no matter how embarrassing that may be to some of us, it's kind of like our own physical families. 
some of us are kind of embarrassed by some of our physical families, aren't we? Okay, come on, if we be honest. That's the fun part about going back to Louisiana. We hear more stories, more stories. But they're still family. And the fact is, is when then multiple fellowships and churches within our community, though there may be a tremendous amount of diversity, do we simply chalk them off as not a part of the body of Christ because their worship style is different or because their church government is different or because they act a little bit different than we are? Or do we simply say, you know, that's part of the great diversity of the body of Christ. Our God is grandiose in his diversity, and we can see it within all of his creation. Do we expect then that his church would be plucked out with little cookie cutters and everybody is supposed to be the same? No, it's not that way. Because God uses the diversity of who we are in building his church. Most of these churches, with their differing styles of worship, their different styles of preaching, different rites, different ceremonies, yet For many of them, the basics of our faith are the same. With many of these churches, we stand together with the declaration that Paul writes here in Ephesians, again, back in chapter 2, when he says that for by grace we have been saved through faith, and it's not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. The great majority of those churches, even that I listed earlier, would take that very same stance and says, absolutely, that is the truth. These things we know, it's on these things that we stand. These are the essentials of our faith, and these are the things that we can walk in unity together with other fellow with other churches, those denominations or non-denominations, those independents, whatever they might be. Many of these same churches can also agree with what we spoke about a few weeks ago, the five solas of the Protestant Reformation, when again we stepped away from Roman Catholicism and we began seeking again where the Lord was, was really speaking in his word. And we spoke about such things as sola scriptura, that it's the word of God that is our authority. It's not some man or some group of men up and beyond that again overrides the word of God or adds to it or detracts from it. Sola gracia, in other words, grace alone. It's the method of our salvation. It's not by our works, but it's the grace of God. And it's done through sola fide, by faith alone. That's the vehicle or the channel that our salvation comes through. That one of the other solas is solus Christus. Christ alone is the only source of our salvation. It's only through Christ. And then the last one, sola dio gloria. To God alone be the glory in all of our life. Again, we can stand together with a multitude of the churches in our area. We can agree together. We can declare ourselves as brothers and sisters in the Lord, regardless of some of the differences that we do have. And yet the sad thing is, is not everyone who calls himself a church agrees with these essentials of our faith. But this isn't anything new, is it? I mean, the fact is, is that years ago, early in church history, church leaders 
saw the great need for the drawing together of what the truth was because it was this, uh, again, this, these heresies that began to come into the church, drawing many people astray and away from the truth. As a matter of fact, many of the letters to the churches that you have within your Bible speaks directly to churches about these heresies, about these false doctrines that were already entering the church within just a few years of the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Christ. And as the years went on, the church developed particular creeds or confessions to help differentiate the truth of God's word from the false interpretations or the false teachings of man. There had to be something that set as a standard. Everyone would say, oh yes, I believe the word. But in what area, in what way do you believe it? Now, a creed or a confession isn't a bad thing, so long as that creed or confession doesn't add to or take away from the Word of God. If it simply is bullet points of the reality of the truth, of this is what it means to be a Christian, then it is a good thing. It's a positive thing. And some of these churches actually used these creeds or these confessions as what was called a baptismal confession. Whereas when, when a candidate for baptism within the church, would, they would have to come and they would have to confess an agreement with this particular creed prior to being accepted as a baptismal candidate or fellowship within the church. One of those creeds, one of probably the most familiar, probably familiar with many of you, perhaps even in your church history, part of your regular church service would be repeating this creed altogether as a church. Again, as a form of unity of faith, a unity of understanding. It's called the Apostles' Creed. Not because it was written by the Apostles, it was actually written quite a while after the Apostles, but what it was was a culmination of the basics of the teachings of the Apostles. The version that's most popular today was finalized in the 8th century, and Again, as we look at it, man, there's a lot of positive things that we can definitely agree with. In fact, I agree with the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and I'll explain that in a moment. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. It goes on to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. And I'll explain that in a moment. I believe in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. That's a creed of the church that, that declares, man, these are the basics of our belief and our understanding. And if you agree with those things, then we can agree the fact that we are brothers and sisters within the kingdom of God. There's a couple of phrases or words that, that are used in that that we look at today, and many of us kind of, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Number one, when it says that he descended into hell, I do not believe that Jesus had to suffer in hell for our salvation. I believe that the sacrifice on the cross was complete. When he said, it is finished, it was finished. I believe that when he speaks that he descended into hell, the greater understanding is, is that he descended into the grave. He went into the grave. That he was buried. He was completely dead. He wasn't partly dead. He wasn't mostly dead. He was totally dead. And they buried him. And yet he also ascended from the dead. 
in the very word Catholic. I believe in the Holy Spirit in the Holy Catholic Church. Some say, oh, I don't believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I'm not a Catholic. I'm a Protestant. or whatever. That's not what it means. The understanding of that is I believe in the universal church. In other words, the church is more than you. It's more than just us. The church extends well, well beyond us. And beloved, we need to understand that because even today here in our community, there are churches that say if you're not part of us, you're not part of the church. Some that say that if you're not on our membership list, if you're not baptized in our church, then you're not really part of the body of Christ. Beloved, the body of Christ is much greater than that. What happens when a church, though, or a religious organization moves beyond what we understand the Word of God to declare, moves beyond what the early church fathers declared as orthodox? What happens when they add to or take away from the teachings of the Word of God? Are we still a part of the same body of believers? Do we still strive for unity with them? I believe that that's the point that Paul gives in verses 4 through 6 here. It seems that more and more people are getting caught up in a works-based expression of their faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is the book Pastor David is currently teaching through, Ephesians. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter, The Open Word Radio, or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. That's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.